Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Ginny Yurich, founder of 1000 Hours Outside, welcoming Lindsay Ford here today. Thanks for joining. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Yeah, I can't wait to hear about your story because you have this book out called The Positive Parenting Framework, The Simple Guide to Let Go of Fear, Navigate Uncertainty, and Confidently Parent the Child in Front of You. That's a really good subtitle um, because I think those are things that we are all struggling with on a, on a regular basis, letting go of fear and navigating uncertainty and change. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to read a bit of your bio here. You are a certified parenting coach who helps parents interpret what their child is really saying when they act out and restore calm and cooperation back into their homes. You're a member of the Positive Discipline Association, and you've been featured a lot of places, Mind, Body, Green, Motherly, Holistic Parent Magazine, The Boss Mom Podcast, and you are part of the Thrive Global com- uh, Contributing Community, and you live in Canada. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So that's awesome. So uh, so tell us, tell us about this book. How did you end up here? Oh, my goodness. What a journey. Um, the book was really a almost like my own project that I needed to do. I was having a really hard time kind of even just clarifying my views on parenting. Parenting world is kind of an, a noisy place. And I was like, okay, I needed to get all of my thoughts down on paper. And I decided um, to write a book um, primarily for my own, um, just to think through a lot of what I was doing. Um, and also I really, um, I love writing and I love trying to help parents really understand that they're not doing anything wrong with their child. Like they're not going to screw up their child. Like they are the perfect parent for their, all of their children and each of their children. And we're here to learn from each other. And there's no such thing as perfect parenting. So I really wanted to write this book from the lens of um, almost like a chat with a best friend, um, someone that's really compassionate and understands that, yes, we all want to improve our parenting. We want to do a good job and we want to do as best as we can, but there's also room for mistakes and mistakes should be expected because we're learning all of this alongside our kids and there's no need to beat ourselves up as mm-hmm. we're going through things. So it was really, I really want it to come from a place of compassion and understanding for what real world parenting is like. Cause I kept yeah. hearing from Um, a lot of the parents I was talking to of like, they really like the expert advice, but how do they apply that in real, real life with real kids? And um, it didn't always work on their kids. And where, like, where was sort of the understanding and compassion for what real life parenting was like? And I really wanted to bring that to the book. Oh, you did such a good job. I think that it hits on the fact that parenting I've come to believe more than anything is modeling. It's modeling to our kids how to craft a life, how to build relationships, how to find meaningful work, and then also how to work through our failures. And so if we didn't have any failures, how would our kids know to grow up and to expect those and learn how to move forward and to move past them? So that's a beautiful a beautiful sentiment um, because I think we're all struggling with guilt and 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 fear and unknowns yeah and and so much is unknown like we have 
you know, we're kind of led to believe that if we make the first six years perfect, then everything will, you know, that's, you know, where their brain is programmed and all of those things. And there's a lot of pressure there, but there's just so many unknowns and so many curveballs, which is why I really believe in sort of a framework approach rather than just saying like, you know, if X happens, then do Y. I really believe in like being able to have this framework, which I know is really kind of a weird thing to grasp in parenting, but like um, this thing that evolves and helps you figure things out as you go, not necessarily tells you what to do, but helps you figure things out. Right. Because there's so many variables, so many variables. So it wouldn't make sense to have an, you know, X plus Y equals Z approach. There has to be flexibility in that and to understand sort of some overarching principles. So what would you say about fear? Where is that coming from? You talk in your book too about worry, um, that this a TED talk by Tim Ferriss, you know, and worry is just misplaced imagination. So where is the fear coming from? How can we deal with it? I think the fear is coming from our own programming and the own expectations we're putting on ourselves. Like we have been raised a certain way and some of us have been raised differently, but we've, we were raised a certain way. We have these cultural expectations and we don't, we don't want to get it wrong. Like our kids are so important to us and we're worried about getting things wrong. And we don't necessarily, I don't think our culture and society have really been set up um, to really help us feel comfortable with all the nuances and all of the gray areas. We really need to get comfortable in all of this gray area of parenting. So um, I think there's fear related or we just, we don't know how to deal with that discomfort. There's also fear if we're doing something different than others um, or different than how we were raised. Maybe there's some criticism, some judgment, and just like, is this actually going to work? I don't know. Um, so I think fear fear comes from a lot of different places. And it, it like, and worry is just a an extension of fear. It's a, a smaller version of fear, but worry is really just. Yeah, using your mis- your imagination to think of all the worst case scenarios. And when really we can use that same imagination to think of alternative scenarios that at least can calm us down and get our, you know, get our rational thinking brains on and all that stuff. Right. Like what if instead we thought of the best case scenario, which is, you know, that our kids grow up to be healthy and happy and fulfilled. You know, we think that way and we're still going to have a relationship with them and it's going to be this grand thing. You know, if we're going to imagine, maybe we might as well just imagine the good things, right? Yeah. And even if we don't necessarily, I mean, we don't know, there's no guarantees. It could go one of one of two ways or one of a million ways like we we don't know but at least when we start to use our imagination to think about like the good things then we can calm down enough um because when our when we're worrying about all the bad things we're not in a really rational state um but when we can think about the good things we can calm ourselves down and then we can actually kind of take more of an objective view or more of an a lot a logical approach to whatever situation we're dealing with So what are some of the strategies that you use and that you advise people to use to let go? Because there is a lot of fear, a lot of worry, a lot of thoughts that sort of come out of nowhere. You know, I talk to my friends and they're like, 
I, you know, I, my kid's eight, but someday, what if he marries someone and the daughter-in-law doesn't like me and then I never see him again? You know, we have these yeah. things. She's like, I try and go to sleep at night, but this is what's running through my head. How, you know, what are some practical ways to move past those scenarios? Yeah, is even just asking yourself, like, is that true? Is that true? And you don't know. I mean, we don't know that in that particular scenario. Or like, what is this worry really trying to tell me? You're worried that your child is going to, you know, marry someone else and and that'll be the end of your relationship. Um, like there is an underlying fear that you're going to lose your child or that your relationship's not strong enough, or there's something underlying those worries. And if we can just really turn and, and face those fears and those worries and, and say like, okay, I, I, I see you. What are you trying to tell me? What is, because the fear is something that's trying to protect you. Like it's trying to raise a flag saying there's something over here that needs your attention. If we can turn and face our fear and really just reflect it, you know, what are you trying to tell me? Is it true? And be as specific as possible. When we get more specific with our fear, it kind of dissipates when we keep it general, like we're worried, like, uh, like a big general thing or worried about screwing up our kid. That's when I hear a lot. Well, that's very, Mm. very general, when we get into, we ask ourselves why we ask ourselves the specifics, then we can sort of pull, pull apart what exactly is um, causing us the fear. And then we can either, oftentimes we then, when we, when we look at it from a specific, like a specific lens, it doesn't seem so scary. Or then we can say, okay, how can I work on this now? Yeah. Yeah. To work on it and to make practical choices to sort of help. Um, And I'm sure there's tons of practical choices to help, you know, practical choices of building a relationship with a daughter-in-law or all sorts of things when you get to those points. And in fact, I like in your book, actually, it reminds me of, I, I really liked in your book where you talked about that life as a path. I loved this part where you say, go as far as you can see. And when you get there, you'll see further. Yes. So I thought that was actually very profound that sometimes we're worrying about these things that we can't see yet. And, and we are missing the point that once we arrive at that space, if it's five years down the road or 10 years down the road, we'll be at a new vantage point. Yes. And we'll have all the different experiences and then you can go any different direction. Like you don't have to keep moving forward down that path. Cause once you get there, you'll see different options. You'll see things that you can't see now. And it's um, yeah, I, that's been, um, a phrase, you know, go as far as you can see. And when you get there, you'll see further. That's been one that's been really, really helpful for me, not only in parenting, but just in life in general, when things are overwhelming or things seem really complex and I can't figure out how to get from point A to point B, um, just take a few steps forward and things will, you'll start to get new information as you go and you'll be able to figure it out. Yeah. And that goes back to the modeling too, which is that's how our kids are also going to need to live their life. And so if we're fearing things that are way down the path, we just have to know, you even say, you know, just even one or two steps, you're going to be at a new perspective. You know, you're going to be able to see things that you couldn't see before. And then at that point, you either are going to keep going or you're going to turn, you know, you're going to stop and look around. And I I loved that visual. And even even the thought that our kids are on their own path. Yes. 
that's something that you talk about a lot. So can we talk about that? You sort of, um, they have their own journey. They have their own journey. And, and sometimes as parents, we want to control their journey. We don't want them to experience the pains, the, the heartaches, the relationship dramas and all of that stuff. And we have to understand that they, they are on their own journey. They are on their own path. They are meant to experience pain. They are meant to have their heart broken. They are meant to, you know, grieve the loss of a friend or be upset. And um, our role isn't to necessarily take away all their pain or control their environment and orchestrate this perfect life. They are, they are meant to go down this path. And our role is to just guide them, be with them, help them, um, you know, give them some advice and some guidance along the way and, and, you know, help them navigate all of the gray areas and nuances Hmm. of life. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. You know, it's, there's no easy path. And, and so when they have these situations that are difficult, it helps them to learn and to grow and to learn how to move through. Uh, you say clarity comes from doing, which I love. You got to make a decision, right? You got to, you got to, sometimes I think we feel frozen. Do you find that sometimes parents feel sort of frozen and stuck? Yeah, absolutely. And that goes with, you know, go as far as you can see. And when you get there, you'll see further. That is, that is the doing part. So a lot of times parents feel a little bit overwhelmed or unsure of how to handle their child's behavior or a specific situation. And we can't be afraid to try different strategies or different techniques and like, okay, maybe we're going to try this one. Maybe we're going to brainstorm as a family. We have this problem of, you know, not tidying up or like this, or it's a fight every time we, our kids need to tidy up. Let's brainstorm together as a family and come up with a solution. And then we try it with no attachment necessarily to it working. Like we want it to work, but let's try it for a week, see how it works and reevaluate. And that's the, and then we're getting more information of like where our little hangups are. So we want to do things. We want to try things, understanding that it's, it's an experiment in any ways where I feel like we've been so conditioned that there's these perfect strategies out there that will help us and get rid of the behavior or and parents get really frustrated when those things work for a little bit and then stop working or they don't work with their kids or whatever, but it's about figuring things out and taking a few steps and understanding that it's not going to be perfect. And there's going to be this reevaluation and you will eventually get there. And, and even the process of not getting there right away, you're getting feedback that whole time. Mm -hmm. You're getting feedback on what's working, what's not working. Maybe, you know, tidying up works better. Um, right you know, before school in the morning or like at, like at different times of the day, you're getting feedback as you go. And it's just, an ex an experiment in many ways, and you will eventually get there. But it's a bit of a process and an evolution, and that's that's part of parenting. That's not that's 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 parenting, and that's part of the modeling, which yes. is that that's how we have to live our life. Like you said, that is the part of you getting there that your clarity is coming from doing. And and you say, which I thought this was an interesting statement. There is a cost to stagnation. So when fear. Uh, pushes us into this place where we do nothing because we're afraid or we're worried, there is a cost to that, that doing nothing, you say, in it in and of itself is a decision. 
yes, correct. We, we can, when we get paralyzed by fear, we get stuck. And then, I mean, even in the tidy up example, if you get stuck in a pattern, then you're stuck in a pattern where it's not fun for everybody. Like you're, yeah, you're, you're, but you're making a decision because you're so afraid you're making a decision to stay stuck when you could be trying things, um, without worrying about failing. I mean, you know, probably from, I don't want to call it failing if you're struggling and you're stuck, but like you're already struggling. So how bad does it have to be for you to move forward? And, and it's okay that you're making a decision to stay stuck sometimes, but just recognize that that is a decision and you can change it at any time when you're ready to start trying things and and trying to like figure your way out of that. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit BetterHelp.com slash 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 1000 hours. Eating better is easy with Factors delicious, ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember, to sign up and save, we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. Yeah, it's inspiring. I love the thought of just you're trying new things and you're trying to gather information. And and we all know that parenting just changes so rapidly anyway. So, you know, sometimes the, the, the answer is going to just come naturally or sometimes it's going to come through uh, trying some different things. Uh, one of the things you talk about is tantrums. Mm-hmm. Our tantrums. I'm not quite sure if I said that right. Uh, and uh, so I don't know how, how old are your kids? My, my kids are eight and six now. 
Okay, so our youngest is six and our oldest is 14. So we're a little bit out of that tantrum age. Mm-hmm. Um, of our five kids, there was one, it's so interesting looking back, Lindsay, there's one that had them a lot. And it was our third child. And I, in retrospect, think he was just tired. Um, you know, he's following around two older siblings. And, you know, at that point, our life wasn't so conducive to naps. And he's having to keep up. And and then eventually, when he wasn't so tired, I think he just sort of grew out of, grew out of it. And he just, um, I don't know, I just think that happens so much that they grow out of things, that there's just these little seasons that they're in. But um, you know, what, what hope can you give to parents for tantrums? Because they are something that we fear, especially if they happen in the wrong place. You know, like I always say, you know, if your kid has a tantrum in the middle of a field, it doesn't really matter. You know, you can give them time to sort of breathe through it and you can help them. And, um, and actually, they don't tend to have tantrums out in the middle of a field anyway. Mm-hmm. It is interesting. But if, you know, but if they have a tantrum in the middle of a church service or at, you know, at some place where you're likely to be getting a lot of looks and things, um, that is something that we fear and maybe fear that we don't have a good answer or solution for. Uh, so what would you tell parents in those situations? Yeah. So with tantrums, well, like any behavior, our child's telling us something when they're acting out. So with a tantrum, like, yeah, it could be tired. It could be that they haven't had your attention all day. And, you know, the whining wasn't working. You were able to ignore that, but now like the screaming is going to get your attention, or it could just be that they're emotionally exhausted and, and whatever. So there's a lot of different reasons for a tantrum. And it is very different when your child is having a tantrum in privacy versus in a more public setting. And I think a lot of our resistance to tantrums comes from our own upbringing. Um, Many of us emotions were not really allowed, um, like those hard sort of angry emotions. Um, And with our kids, we have to recognize that tantrums are going to happen. They are a normal part of of childhood just because of the way their brain is developing. and when they get into tantrum mode, it's um, they're not really in a logical and rational state. They're almost in this fight, flight, or freeze response. They're in a very reactive um, place. And so things like validating feelings, using soothing tones are really going to speak to the part of the brain that is active. Now, if you're out in public, that adds a whole layer onto it because you're probably going to feel more judged. You're going to feel more urgency to get things under control. And that's bringing up insecurities in you. And those are really important things to reflect on. Um, I mean, obviously, if you can in the moment, but afterwards, certainly of like, okay, notice your temper rising and you're probably... Um, you know, for me, even those were the times where I would use strategies that weren't really in line with how I wanted to be raising my kids. Like I, I wanted to get them quiet as quickly as possible. So really, if you're in a public place, finding, taking your kid and usually they're young enough that you can pick them up and, you know, take them out of the church or um, take them to the car or outside and just away from onlookers, that's going to give that's going to really help you calm down and then be able to deal with your child in a calmer 
um, calmer way. And it's also going to give them the privacy as well to just have some, some cool down time for you. So I really recommend removing them from the public setting if you can. And then just recognizing that, you know, there's, there are probably going to be times where you don't really know how to handle it and giving yourself the grace and compassion of just like, okay, not everybody knows how to handle it. Every situation, you're not going to have this perfect solution all of the time. And just knowing that that is, that is okay. That is a normal part of parenting. Um, And And it's it's a stage that does end. I mean, we haven't dealt with a tantrum. I can't remember the last time. And in fact, really by rearranging our life to be in the outdoors, that cut down on a lot of tantrums as well, just because it's suited for restoration and rest. And, and our kids sometimes would, they'd fall asleep in a stroller or in a pack. They'd fall asleep on a, on a picnic blanket and just could rest and, and rejuvenate. But I like what you're saying about that sense of urgency. You know, that's, I think, what takes it to a different level. If you're by, if you're by yourself or with your group of other moms and they're all understanding and that, and the clouds are sort of, you know, absorbing, you know, some of the, some of the loud noise and things, it, it doesn't feel um, as frantic, but in these other environments, it can. And so I love that I, that advice of removing yourself. And I think they just, to me, they seem like a wave. It's going to end at some point. And I think for me, um, and actually my husband, we were at different levels. I think that some people, like I always knew is this is going to end at some point, you know, we're going to, we're going to sort our way through. Um, but maybe I had a longer span for it that, you know, that we have these different, and then like, well, maybe it's only three more minutes longer than, than sort of what your expectation would be, but sort of is like riding a wave and it does end. And a lot of times I would say most of the time I could look back and say, look, well, we were up really late that, that last night, or, you know, this day was really busy. You can sort of look and see where it's coming from to have a little bit more understanding. I'm sure not all the time, but some of the time. Well, and it is, it is a wave and noticing even what comes up in you. Like if you don't have the tolerance to sit through the, the long, the long tantrum, notice at what point you feel like you need to shut it down because that's telling you something about you either. Um, like maybe that was the point where your, your parents shut you down as a kid of like, okay, it was tolerated up into this level and you weren't allowed to ride the rest of the wave. Um, or you're just really worried that if you allow this to continue, are they going to be like this forever? Or like Mm. paying attention to what's going on in you as the tantrum is happening is going to then help you remain calm and in a level-headed space to deal with your child and support them through the tantrum and through that wave of emotion. Yeah. Is there, um, is there a time frame? I know they, I can't, you know, it's funny, you know, when you're in these stages of life, you never know when the last one is, you know, I mean, I haven't thought about tantrums now in years, uh, but it seemed like it lasted maybe through three three, four ish. And then yeah, three, four, it, I think it depends on the kids and it depends on what you define as a tantrum. I actually think I, I still have tantrums as an adult right? When sure, I'm sure, with my sure. kid. It just doesn't look like, like the same way. Um, yeah. So we just learn how to deal with our emotions differently. And sometimes the emotions just come out as a big cry and sometimes they come out as anger. So yeah, yeah I think around sort of like that five-year-old yeah. 
age, but it still happens with older kids. And I, I actually think it, it just expresses itself. The the emotions just come out in different, in different ways. Yeah. I used to, um, I used to teach high school. And so I think that being in the classroom, it gave me a little bit of leg up on parenting because what I learned and I, you know, we did these love and logic books, which is about kids um, having practical consequences to their actions, which is what you have that in your book too. You know, that there's, there's natural consequences to certain, certain things that we do, but in love and logic, it would talk about how if you get mad then or like if like a police officer if they yell at you you know then you get mad at that police officer you know you got pulled over but if they calmly say you know i'm so sorry you were speeding here's your ticket you know then you internalize it you internalize your own decision and so by being in that public school system i knew like if i lose my cool this whole thing is this whole thing's going down right so i had to learn they're trying to get they're trying to get you to lose your cool that is one of the main purposes i think of these high school some of them the high school kids you know they're trying to you know just for fun they're bored you know they're trying to stir the pot and so you know i had these you know five or six years where i learned to deep breathe and and to know that um you know if i can make it through in a calm way it's really going to change the outcome for a long time. And, and so that really helped with my own kids because now I don't remember any of those tantrums really. I mean, I, I remember one where I had to pick a kid up and, and run out of a, a museum, you know, under the arm, like you said, you yeah. know, kicking and screaming. I mean, that was one, but of all the tantrums, I mean, you just kind of move on. And I think if you can learn to breathe through it, it helps it helps you as well in your own mental state. Well, and it also goes back to the modeling that we were talking about earlier. Like you're modeling the regulation, you're modeling like how when you're about to lose your your cool and have a tantrum, you're breathing through it, and and then your kids are just picking up on those skills as well. So they're gonna they're gonna learn that much quicker just from a modeling perspective. Yeah. I think what I learned is if we all get mad, no one gets the outcome that we want, you know, and, and so, um, like I said, those years actually were fairly helpful in learning how to, um, find different solutions. Uh, so, you know, going back to being outside, because I think that helps, I think that's part of an answer to parenting problems is just being in the right environment and trying to have the downtime that kids need in order to reset. Um, But what about risks? So we go outside and parents ask a lot about risks and there's some fear and uncertainty out there. Yes. You know, how do we do with risking risk and control? Yes. Um, Well, again, it's, it's noticing what comes up in you when your kids are trying to explore or trying to climb. And it was funny because, I mean, we all have different risk tolerances and my husband was way more and still is way more risk. Like he's totally fine with the kids climbing high and doing all the things. And I would be like, Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Like hovering underneath. And and I'm just like, okay, I need to walk away and just like back off. And he's like, well, what's going to happen. And sort of in my, in my mind, we're just like, okay, well, what happens if they fall? What happens if, you know, they fall and break an arm or something like that? Okay. Then we go to the hospital. And then like, it's not a lot of our fears. Again, if we can get specific about them, we can go, okay, you know what? 
I don't want that to happen, but I know what to do if that happens. So, um, or if I'm not comfortable with my child climbing this tree, what do they need to learn in order for them to like gain the skills so that they can climb the tree safely? What do we need to, you know, point out in terms of like looking for, you know, dead branches that are about to fall off or whatever, um, or like, you know, maybe we don't climb trees that we have to be lifted into. We only climb trees that mm. we can, we can climb up. So that's our, that's our rule. That is definitely <laughs> our rule. If you can't do it on your own, you're not old enough. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So really just, uh, you know, asking those reflective questions of what's coming up with you and what does your child need to learn in order? Like, because at some point, you know, parenting is a lot about or all about actually letting go. Like our child is becoming more and more independent and less dependent on us. So the whole process of parenting is us letting go of control. And if you don't feel they're ready, what do they need to learn? And it might not be, it might be that, you know, a, a four-year-old can't cross the road. Okay. But we can start to teach and talk about what do we look for when we cross the road or like we stop and we can train them in certain ways. And then eventually they build that skill. So then you don't worry about them later when, you know, they're of a certain age or, or they can sort of assess gaps in traffic mm -hmm. and whatever, whatever that is. Yeah. I think that's an interesting way to put it because I think you had talked about in the book about how as a parent, we're assessing risk. Like what you said with your husband said, what's going to happen? Well, that is a really important question, right? So if risk assessment is these two factors of, you know, how dangerous is it and how likely is it that it's going to happen? That's sort of the risk assessment piece that when kids are long, young, that is the parent's job, right? To say, no, that is too risky. You know, you're not going to play at the water's edge, you know, uh, without some sort of protection or without a parent being in arm reach, you know, that's extremely risky or you're not going to climb that high in a tree because, you know, how dangerous is it vary? Uh, you're not going to cross the street when you're two. How dangerous is it vary? You know, but then mm -hmm. it's sort of this progression of, of letting them learn how to assess the risk. And I think that's why, and then as a parent, we're, learning to let go in that process. I think that's why time outside is so helpful for kids in learning risk assessment. Because like you said, when they're real small, they're they're not gonna be up off the ground very high. There aren't many ways that they can get extremely hurt, um, just bumps and bruises along the way. And so they're learning how to deal with their bodies. Yeah, um, and they need to experience falls and tumbles and stuff to know where their limits are. Right, right. To learn how to navigate that. Yeah. Yeah. So then in the in the long run, they're going to be a little bit safer, but we're sort of transferring those skills to them. And I think those are things that we can talk about, which is, you know, well, you know, if you fell from that high of a, on a tree or that off the roof or that's a catastrophic fall, um, you know, let's try and look for other ways to possibly fill your need for thrill or adventure or um, challenge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and risk assessments going to constantly evolve over time. So like a, a small child's not going to run or like, we're not going to want them anywhere near the water's edge without you. But then as they become swimmers and like, there's, there's this whole new level, like risk assessment is ongoing. It, it's not uh okay. We know our rules. We might know our rules around water for 
a little bit and they're strict and they're like, they're keeping them safe, but then it's going to gradually change. And then if you have kids of multiple ages, you might have different rules Mm. for different kids. And there's just, there's this complexity to, to risk assessment. So always being able to reflect on the specifics of what you're concerned about. And like the, like you were saying, the, the possibility of something happening versus the probability and all of that stuff, it's really going to, it's really going to help. And then sometimes accidents are going to happen. Right. Right. And so we're just, for me, we're trying to mitigate the catastrophic ones um, while still allowing for this sort of transference of skills, which is they're learning what their bodies are capable of and what they're not. And so there's bumps and bruises along the way, um, you know, a broken bone possibly here or there. Um, And then sometimes like you've talked about, there are just things that are out of control are actually our only um, our only hospital run was due to broken playground equipment. And, you know, we had a, a kid that got a finger uh, snapped in something and it was just a broken piece of equipment. And there's, there's really no way, you know, we could have gotten around that. I mean, we just didn't know. And so sometimes accidents happen and uh, you have to give yourself grace, I think. Um, and know that, on, you know, as an overarching thing that it's good, all the growth is good. And the growth comes for the parent and for the child. We're learning how to let go and they're learning how to take the reins, I think. For in sure. Situations. Um, what about what about expectations? So one of the things that you talked about, which I thought was such a good reminder, um, is that stress and sort of these upset feelings can sometimes lead back to expectations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when our expectations and our reality don't, jive when our reality turns out differently than our expectations. Um, we get really upset. And this even happened to me um, a couple of days ago. I was like, we're going to go on a family hike. My husband's never around. I always take the kids and do things and we're going to go. And my kids just, our kids just complained the whole time. And I was so upset. And it was just because I had envisioned this great time together when my husband was finally able to do something with us. And and so when our reality doesn't meet our expectations, it can feel really devastating for the, for us, um, whether that's related to like an outing like that or behavior. Like if our we expect our child to behave at church or behave at a friend's house and then they're mean to another kid or there's an outburst, we, there's a disconnect perhaps between how we envision things going and our reality. And so in these sorts of situations, just recognizing that, okay, we're upset, not because our child had a very, you know, you know, emotional time or whatever, like, because that's a normal part of childhood. That's a normal, you know, thing that we deal with. Um, it's because our reality didn't meet our expectations. And then just trying to get back into the present moment of like, okay, um, this is, this is my new reality. I need to let go of that expectation because I I know for me, especially, and I know many of us, we then try to sometimes make our reality meet our expectations. And then it's just like a control thing. Um, We just let go of our, our need to control whatever outcome and then just try to breathe through and deal with the situation in front of us and like, okay, it didn't work out and that's unfortunate. And we'll try again another day. And yeah, I think parenting is a constant lowering of expectations. <laughs> yeah. 
That's been my experience. In the best way possible, right? Yeah, I mean, especially like, especially for having company, that's when it shows up the most for me because I have this whole thing, you know, it's like you want to make, I want to make homemade lemonade and I want to, you know, put out a tablecloth and I want to have this part of the house clean. Maybe nobody's going in that part, but, you know, you want it to be clean just in case. And so, you know, the time is ticking by and I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to be making the homemade lemonade and I'm not going to be doing this part and this part's not going to be swept. And you're just constantly, that's, that's when I feel it the most, but you know, but it's like, well, the relationships are more important, I think, than, you know, than the way that we present ourselves. And so, um, and so it does make things easier. I think, you know, when you, when you knock things off the list of expectations, um, so you had this, uh, you had this question in your book, which I thought was an interesting one. Why are some kids easier than others? <laughs> That's a great question. Isn't it? it is. It is. <laughs> um, it, it's related to their temperament and your own temperament. So some kids are going to be just generally, you know, more easygoing, more flexible, more adaptable, all of those things. And other kids are going to be more like stubborn and strong-willed and sort of, you know, in their, um, in their stance or as an example, but your temperament is also a factor. So there's going to be some kids that are easier for you to deal with than will be for other other um, parents or caregivers or what have you. And that's based on your own temperament. That's based on sort of your own upbringing and what you have patience for. So like my son, as an example, he's very stubborn. He's very like, he's the tantruming kid. He was the biting kid. He's the shy, like he's just. um, Well, this is the intensity of reactions because you go through, I thought this was fascinating is there's nine nine categories of temperament and one of them i actually think this is a fascinating one is intensity of reaction or response to events so some people will be like yeah you know and some kids are gonna bite you know you got kids that are that are different levels of intensity yes for sure so it has to do with your sort of your temperament and your child's temperament and how they complement each other And, and there's no like right or wrong or perfect scenario here it's just you know it's one child is probably going to bring up certain things in you, a certain insecurities in you. Um, one child is just going to be, you'll kind of balance each other out. One child, you might, you know, sort of ramp up, um, ramp each other up and play off each other's energies. So yeah. um, well, let's walk through these because I think they're fascinating. So the first one is activity level. So some kids are high, high level, high activity and low activity. And I think our kids are all actually fairly high activity and it's exhausting. So we, I go out with certain friends and their kids want to go home. You know, when are we leaving? They, I'm like, what are you going to do at home? In fact, I asked one of our friends the other day, their son, you know, who's your favorite? Cause he always wants to go home. You know, we, we're at these places. My kids want to do stuff every day. What are we doing? And what are we doing next? You know, they're just high activity. And so this, this little guy, I said, well, who, like, who do you want to hang out with? And he's like myself, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's, <laughs> great. that's great. So high activity, low activity. So, you know, I think that would be interesting because high activity could be exhausting, but if yeah. a child is low activity and you want to take them on a hike, you know, or you want to take them on this adventure, they might not want to go. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. 
but I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high-quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum-sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last-minute get-together recently, and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chop's hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chop's price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com outside120 and use code outside120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside120 at goodchop.com outside120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com outside120 code outside 120. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com 1000. That's drinkag1.com 1000. Check it out. Mm-hmm. And, and your, um, activity level also, like if you're the type of person that always wants to do things, you're going to compliment or not compliment right. your child based on their, their activity level. Yeah. Okay. The next one is, um, predictability of physical functions, uh, rhythmicity. Is that, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. So that was more related to like the infant sort of age where there's like just predictable like nap times and schedules and like that yeah okay so some are predictable and some are unpredictable and I could see how either way so for kids that have predictable ones then you can really manage your life but if they're predictable then you also don't have flexibility right yeah right so that's tricky if you want to take them to whatever but they have to be at home in their crib for a nap Mm -hmm. that's hard um reaction to something new Initial response. So k- people either approach or withdraw. Mm-hmm. So that That's goes good. to like, yeah, it's being timid in new situations versus yeah. like, hey, I'm jumping in. Yeah, I have one of our kids, and I would say of all our kids, she's the easiest temperament. But when she was younger, a toddler, whenever we would go someplace new, as soon as we would get out of the car, she would cry for like the first 15 to 30 minutes mm-hmm. before she adjusted. Oh, yeah. what is you know? I was like, what is going on here? <laughs> she doesn't do it anymore, but she did it back then. 
Um, yeah, so these are all super interesting. Are you adaptable? What's your sensory threshold? Your quality of mood. So that's a temperament. You're, some people are either more drawn to be pessimistic or more drawn to be optimistic. It's fascinating, isn't it? Now, this yeah. is this all this temperament research was not my own research, but it was based on a longitudinal study done many for over many decades. And it's fascinating. It's fascinating yeah. to get into. And it just gives you some insights into like, oh, like my child is, you know, just naturally on Distra- distractible. Yeah. You know, or my child is naturally. Uh, has a very focused. I mean, so it's interesting. It's interesting to look at it as a temperament because probably those things are fairly hard to change. They're kind of hardwired and you're they, trying to sort of deal with. How yeah. And I do believe they, they can change over time depending on how you sort of cultivate things. But um, yeah, there, there's some definitely natural hardwiring there and even something like distractibility like that's super easy if your child's having a tantrum and you can distract them out of it but then later distractibility is not so great when you're trying to like focus on schoolwork or something yeah but it is very it is very eye-opening that these temperament skills in certain situations there's like it's there's no right or wrong right in certain situations this is going to be beneficial and in certain situations it's not going to be beneficial and then like you said sort of the mesh of i mean i would even think of spouses you know but Mm -hmm. but certainly of parents and children um that those things can be tricky to navigate but very helpful to know about them the nine categories i thought that was super fascinating and does explain why some kids are easier than others but yeah. easier for us, but maybe not easier for someone else. Well, and just like if if parents are feeling like, oh, their child's super, you know, stubborn or doesn't want to, like doesn't transition easily or cries at that drop off, you know, in the mornings or new situations, like there is nothing wrong with your child. Hmm. They just... They just need some time to adjust. You know, my son, I like birthday parties and stuff. He, he I don't know if he still does because it's been a while, um, but he used to sit there and uh, he needed to sit on my lap for the first 15, 20 minutes before he would go out and, and play at a bigger birthday party. So, and that's good to know because eventually yeah. he gets there and I don't have to push them and there's nothing wrong with them. And it, like, yeah. Yes. And they're dealing at that point with approach or withdrawal mm-hmm. and that's just a temperament. And and I think it saves a lot of headache because maybe you see a lot of other kids that are jumping right in and you think, well, what's wrong with my kid? And you try and push them and then that makes it worse. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. To just let them be themselves and and to understand that, you know, probably the middle of the road is the best place to be on most of those, um, but that we're all going to lean one way or the other and um well, and, we and some of those, each other better. And some of those skills are going to serve people like really, really well in their their adult career. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with like intense focus or like being stubborn if you're applying that to a situation where it makes sense to do so. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So maybe middle of the road is not the best. It's like you embrace, you know, the parts of you, these nine things that are unique to you. And it just goes to show too, why if you have more than one child, they can be so different from each other based on these different temperaments. Yes. Very helpful to know where your kids are. Yeah. On those scales. And it just, yeah, just, it's just makes a lot of, it makes things make a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't have to be so afraid and you can kind of let go. I think, 
I think that's the whole thing. If you can kind of let go and know that parenting is ever changing, like you talk about, that you're going to grow out of this stage and something new is coming down the road. Exactly. So there we go. And you're just, you're growing your muscles all the way through. Um, I know we're running a little bit low on time here, but uh, one of the things that you brought up, which I'd never heard of before, but someone mentioned recently, and I can't totally remember who, but is this concept of mirror neurons. Um, Actually, I do know who brought it up. It's this... um, this Dr. Mike Rucker, and he is all about fun. Um, and so he was talking about how we, when we're in person, face to face, that that we can actually our emotion. Well, you say our emotions are contagious. Yes, we can really yeah, affect. And, and mirror on, mirror neurons, I think, are sort of a little bit controversial in whether they exist. But even if you think about it, like um, you pick up on your energy, and you kind of. Hmm. You know, we know that like, if we're in a bad mood, chances are our kids will, you know, sort of feed off of that energy and get in a bad mood versus if they're upset and we can, you know, model calmness, they're more Hmm. likely to calm down. So even just, you know, thinking about it like that in terms of how people interact and sort of mirror each other in terms of um, their demeanor and the way they talk, like, you know, you, we hear sometimes the advice, if you're dealing with an angry, upset person to sort of talk in quieter tones, because then that'll sort of bring them down a little bit. So it's just thinking about things like that as we, we sort of mimic each other um, in some, in some ways as we're interacting with each other. I love that actually. And I think that that's sort of the key. I, that was the love and logic in that book, one of the things it talked, it just talks about diffusing, right? So if you have a child that's very angry, or in my situation, it would be um, a student in the classroom, you know, they're belligerent, they don't want to do anything that you want them to do. And I think a lot of times it was very understandable, you know, maybe they, they're not getting enough sleep, and they're under a lot of pressure, and they're dealing with things at home and, and social relationships and things like that. So, you know, I don't even think necessarily it, they're at fault for it. But if they're in this sort of belligerent state, or they're angry, or Oh, there's all sorts of things going on, like you talked about gray and, and nuance and, um, you know, that the Love and Logic books talked about um, this being very monotone, you know, being empathetic, right? Mm-hmm. Empathetic. You're definitely empathetic, um, you know, but that it doesn't have to be, uh, it doesn't have to be so charged and emotionally charged. Right. And that those sort of soothing tones are going to speak to a different part of the brain and signal that it's safe to calm down and they can let go of some of their anger. So there's a lot of different ways that stuff like that, you know, helps and works. Yeah. And I think it works. I think it works well with whining. I think it works well with boredom, you know, that it's okay to be bored, um, you know, and those are big, those are big feelings. And, and I've read other things that talk about that sometimes we feel our kids' feelings even more so than we feel our own. And maybe that's part of the mirror neurons. You know, maybe that's part of, of why we're so hardwired to take care of them. But we're feeling these big feelings um, that when we're able to sort of calmly, and, and sometimes you just have a little script, right? Which is, that's what I would have. You know, I would just say, you know, it's a, bu- it's a bummer you're feeling that way or and very empathetic. I really do care. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you're not trying hard. to fix. You're just trying to allow. Them, right? yeah, you're, allow. You're trying to yeah. allow. Yeah. Allow and them then, space. Yeah. And then let that wave of emotion, even though we're not talking tantrums, but it's still like 
mm-hmm. the emotions related to boredom or whatever it is. Yeah. So that wow. mirror neurons thing is is interesting because, you know, I do think that it doesn't it doesn't happen immediately, but I do think that in time, you know, especially if you have a little bit of a lowered expectation, this might take a little longer than I thought to sift through, but maybe eventually they do. They start to mirror your own calmness and and your own response. Mm-hmm. So that's a cool thing to to know about that emotions are contagious, you know, true or not, I don't know, you know, but that doctor, (laughs) that doctor Mike Rucker was talking about it. So I'll have to look back and see um, where that came from. I thought it was actually fairly fascinating. Um, Well, it just means we can be real influential too. Yeah. And just another thing to experiment with as we're parenting of like, oh, can we, can we get our child to mirror our calmness? Yeah. It's another, another thing to try, right? For sure. So Lindsay, you have this book, The Positive Parenting Framework, The Simple Guide to Let Go of Fear, Navigate Uncertainty, and Confidently Parent the Child in Front of You. It's on Amazon? It's on Amazon, yes. Yeah, so it's easy to get. And um, But then you also have a free training. So can you yeah. tell us about that? Sure. It's uh, a free training. Um, just if you head over to my website, Parenting with Lindsay, Lindsay is L-I-N-D-S-A-Y.com um, forward slash free, or you just go to the top and hit that free button. I have a free training on how to get your kids to listen without yelling threats or bribes. And I'm really excited about it. I just redid it. Um, and there's a lot of really um, great um, nuggets of information on how to get your kids to listen. Um and, and if yelling is not your thing, that's totally okay. This training will definitely um, still apply because it's really about, you know, parenting in a way, getting your kids to listen in a way that aligns with how you want to parent. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds fantastic. What a cool thing. And I love that you said L-I-N-D-S-A-Y because sometimes it's an <laughs> so E. So many different ways. Yes. Right? Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> it's an E and that's a tricky, that's a tricky one. So Lindsay Ford. And, um, and then you're also on social media. Yeah. Um, parenting with Lindsay, Instagram, Facebook, um, and TikTok. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's cool. I know I'm too old. I have not, I've not dove in. I think I have an account, but it may be a video up, but that's, that's cool. It's a, it's a great place to find like quick clips. I think of information. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's awesome. Parenting with Lindsay S A Y. And, uh, Lindsay, I, I'm so, um, Glad I read your book and thankful to have this conversation. We always end our podcast with a favorite outdoor childhood memory of yours. So do you have one that you can share? There was this one time and it's not like, it's it's a funny memory in hindsight, but my dad took us for um, a hike in the woods. We had our teddy bears in our backpack. I don't know how old we were, probably around the age of my kids were. And we got all these like, bug bites. I don't know what we were in, but we just got bug bites all over our body. And it was so itchy. And I just remember, um, like we still laugh, we just still laugh about it to this day. My dad felt so terrible. They kind of stripped us down when we got home, stuck us in the hot tub to try to just like, (laughs) um, to deal with it. But it was just, you know, it was a really fun adventure. We had, we went on a hike, we discovered a new place that was within walking distance of our house. And we just had this really funny 
outcome that was probably not funny at the time, but uh, you know, a great. Oh yeah, he probably felt he probably felt bad. (laughs) But you know, yeah, sometimes it's those little those little parts that really make it memorable and stand out. So, uh, and you lived. You're you're not still itchy today. So you made you made it through. You're resilient. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much. I um I appreciate you coming on and helping with these pertinent topics that parents are dealing with on a day to day basis, and they can come find you and learn more. Thank you so much. This was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk, and let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking